sharper iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. Today is Wednesday, February 21st. As I mentioned a week ago, on the Wednesdays during Lent this year on Sharper Iron, we are opening our hymnals to help us learn to meditate on the sufferings, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to help us to turn to Him in repentance and faith. Today we will be looking at hymn number 423 in Lutheran's service book, Jesus, Refuge of the Weary. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Chris Hull. Pastor Hull serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church and Student Center in Macomb, Illinois. Pastor Hull, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Brother Apple, the pleasure is all mine to be with you today. It is a glorious thing. It's sad we're in the same state. I should take the trip down there sometime to do this, you know? I Absolutely. Really you would be welcome to... I mean, to... Or maybe you'd be like, I just took a call, actually. Uh, where? You don't need to know where. You would be so, welcome to join me in the Bible bunker anytime. Oh, Absolutely. Fun times, Absolutely. I tell you. Pastor Hall, we're looking at a, a Lenten <laughs> hymn today. Before we look at this hymn particularly, yes. talk to us a little bit about the season of Lent, its role in the church here and in the life of the Christian. Lent, I mean, Lent is, is Lenty. You know, it's it's such a fun time. Starts with Ash Wednesday, you know, you go get the ashes on your head or you don't. I, when I grew up, everyone did the ashes. Then when I went to college, all of a sudden I met all these people that didn't do the ashes. They're like, oh, we don't do that. I'm like, oh, okay. So then I'm like, do I do them? Do I not? Ah, you know me. I didn't ask that question. I'm like, I do it, so it must be right. No. Um, but you start with Ash Wednesday, the reality of, or you know, you are dust into dust, you shall return, but in the shape of the cross, the reality that we we repent and mourn our sinful condition. We lament, we cry out to God because of our depravity and corruption. But Lent is more than just, and this is the thing with repent. Repentance is that contrition for our sin, but it's also faith in the forgiveness of our sins, faith in Christ, faith in Jesus alone to forgive us and carry us through this. So these 40 days are meditating on our depravity, our need to confess our sins. But it's also rejoicing in Christ who has overcome that we may be forgiven. So you have passages like the temptation of Jesus. You have um, texts like that, especially like Old Testament ones, uh, Jacob wrestling with God, Abraham sacrificing Isaac, things like this where you're looking at the promise fulfilled for your salvation. So Lent is just a great time to dive deeper into the Word and rejoice in who you are as a child of God. It's very baptismal in that as well. I mean, uh, in the ancient church, everyone always says the ancient church. Well, what, when do you mean by that? Because like, like the church of 1700 is different than 1900. So are you talking hundreds, 200s, 300s? But you know, it's old. But you know, they baptize everyone on at the Easter vigil. So you have this very catechetical season of Lent, diving into it. So go back to your catechism and, and study it again, pray it again. Remember your baptism and meditate on it devour the scriptures. I mean, can you imagine reading the whole Bible during Lent? That'd be something. I wonder if anyone's ever tried doing that, reading the entire Bible 
during the season. Maybe that's of Lent. the the focus on the catechism is to give you the summary of the doctrine of the scriptures during the season of Lent to give you the entirety yeah. of the Christian faith. Even yeah. if you don't read the entirety of the scriptures, every word, you get the fullness of the Christian faith by focusing in on the catechism. I tell you, man, you worship Luther. I've never even heard of the guy. No, I'm kidding. I've heard of the guy. But no, yeah, I get it. I get what you're saying. Yes, it's that sum- It's that beautiful summary of, of it. So, so you're basically saying I don't have to read my Bible. I just have to read the catechism. By right? no means. That's what you're saying? Per- that's what I heard. That's what I'm taking from this, this so, podcast Pastor- today. Pastor Apple is opposed Pastor- to the Bible. No, to your, to so. your point about the season of Lent, though, being more than just a— a woe is me sort of season. I think that that's very helpful because the the season of Lent, I think, can devolve into that. I'm just going to feel really, really sorry. And it's not that. It is about this focus on Christ crucified who has redeemed me from that sin so that it is both contrition and Mm -hmm. faith. Uh, we, we saw this last week right. on Ash Wednesday. We looked at hymn number 607, From Depths of Woe I Cry to Thee, which is a Lenten hymn and also mm-hmm. a, a hymn of confession. And, I mean, it's a, it's a glorious, glorious hymn right? yeah. that really teaches justification by grace through faith. And I think we're going to see right. something very similar with our hymn today as well, that it is more than just let's feel really bad that Jesus had to die for us, but rather let's right. rejoice in the fact that in in that repentance that God grants to us, He comes to us comes to us with His forgiveness, with the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for us. Uh, we are going to see maybe a little bit more focus in meditating on Christ's suffering and death in this hymn than we did last week. But again, it's it's broader than that. It's not just a woe is me, but it is a turning to Christ and Him crucified as our only hope for salvation. Exactly. I mean, that's the beautiful part of. You you look at Lent leading up to Holy Week and this reality of Holy Week when or take like even Lenten um, uh, midweek services. A lot of pastors, I don't know what you're doing for your Lenten midweeks, but I know a lot of my brother pastors in the area. They actually have a round robin in my circuit for all the churches it's in Quincy, Illinois. That's where all of them are, but not from a home because I'm too far away. So I had to like move to the another table at a Mexican restaurant having lunch and talking about it. They said, oh, but you're not in this cruise. I'm like, mm, thanks. I'll go over there then, eat my enchilada. So, but it was an Illinois enchilada, so it wasn't that good. But um, so it was just a sad day. Well, we usually but preach it's okay. about it it's on okay. Lenten it's midweek okay. services, Pastor Hall. Well, they do like the people of the cross, you know. So um, that's one I was looking at doing maybe, you know, you look at Peter, Judas, Caiaphas, and and all these things. Um, I've done hymns before. I remember one year I did uh, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice. 556 as a Lenten midweek. And that's a great thing. You think rejoicing, that's not very Lenty, but it is. Uh, the, the reality of rejoicing in the fact that God is patient with you. Remember, his kindness brings you to repentance. So the, the reality that he is patient, or I was translating the other day, what does it mean to be patient is to endure evil. God is patient with us, long-suffering with us. So even the fact that we recognize our sin is God's grace and mercy. And now in recognizing our sin, we are pointed to Christ our Savior, so we rejoice in repenting. And it's just a beautiful yeah. thing. I, I like to, to preach on parts of the catechism during the season of Lent. Again, that catechetical yeah. focus of, of back to the basics, as, as again, we prepare uh-huh. to observe our, our Lord's death and resurrection. Before we look at this hymn particularly, Pastor Hall, I'm curious, because I know you, you do love to, to sing hymns. Do you have a favorite Lent hymn? I do. Oh, man, that's... That's a hard one. I'd, I'd probably say my favorite Lenten hymn is O Sacred Head Now Wounded. Um, even though 422 
on my heart and print your image is the Linton hymn. I use that for my sermon introductions. I always pray that for my sermons. I do love that hymn as well. But I'd say, oh, Sacred Head, you get that ancient feel. And then Gerhard claiming it as well. You just get this beautiful, beautiful theology of what Christ has done for us. I, I you, like Gerhard myself. I, I tend to, to go toward uh, 438, though, A Lamb Goes Uncomplaining Forth is, is perhaps my favorite. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just I love the the way yeah. that you, you get both the, the Father and the Son who desire our salvation, and, and right. it comes to us then through the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the, the way that last stanza, is, at least as we have right. it in our hymnal, just points us toward the eternity that is ours because of what Christ has done. So I, I, I love that hymn. Well, exactly. Well, I guess I misquoted. I quoted That's a okay. Holy Week hymn. I'll allow so it. Sacred head. You know, it's all right. I yeah. said, thank you. I appreciate that. My favorite one to use, though, is, Oh, dearest Jesus, what law hast thou broken? But whenever I see a cross with anything besides Jesus on it, I sing it their way, like, Oh, sacred butterfly, what law hast thou broke? You know, something like that, you know? And you see those everywhere. I love going to Hobby Lobby and doing that. My wife loves it when I do that. So we'll we'll turn but, more uh, we'll yeah. turn our attention more carefully I'm now to the hymn appointed for our study today, "Jesus Refuge of the Weary." It's number four hundred twenty-three in Lutheran Service Book. Before we look at the text of the hymn itself, is there any background on on the text or on the author that would be helpful to us today, Pastor Hall? Well, it's it's not a Lutheran guy, right? It's a Giromas. Savonarola, uh, an Italian of uh, Florence. What do, you, what do you call people from Florence? Oh, I Flor- Florencian? I don't know what you call people, yes. but he was from Florence, right? And he's a, a Renaissance preacher. I mean, he dies 1498. You could say martyred for the truth. He preached on repentance, the corruption of the church, a lot of early Luther type stuff we see. Uh, Luther himself even saying, you know, people like Jan Hus and Savonarola were these forerunners of the Reformation. So he called out the corruptions of the church, called out, um, actually, he even had these, they called them prophecies of civil unrest. And you saw this in Florence. And remember even Luther, like 15, was it 24 or 25? I think it was both of those years or right in there. Yeah. 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 So it kind of, so you have that even with Luther. So Savonarola making the point of these uh, civil unrests. Uh, but of course, uh, the, the uh, higher ups don't like this. So they, they hang them and burn them and all that fun stuff. But what you had in Savonarola is this beautiful preaching of repentance. He preached a lot on um, uh, Revelation and on John's epistles. And you see this understanding in his theology of what repentance is, what we've already talked about repentance being. And hence you get the hymn titled Jesus, Refuge of the Weary, this reality of I'm weary because of my transgressions, and yet Christ is my refuge. Um the translator, I don't know if she was related she, she to Oscar was, Wilde. Actually. That's that's Oscar know. Wilde's mother. Yeah. Oh, she was. Yeah. That's hilarious. Ah, I was just going to make a joke about it, but that's yeah, awesome. The, the translator so, Jane Wilde is she... is Oscar Wilde's mother. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. Oh man, that's fantastic. Have you ever read much? He's the Oscar importance Wilde of being earnest, right? That's yeah. Yeah, importance of being earnest. Yeah. A portrait of Dorian Gray. Uh, Dorian, Dorian Gray. Gray. That's right. Dorian yep. Gray. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting character. But mostly beside Very the point to our hymn study today. But it, mm-hmm. but it is a, a exactly. historical besides oddity, curiosity yeah. that is is worth pointing out yeah. to to the author himself, Savonarola. Yeah. He he is a pre-Reformation yeah. hymn writer, as you pointed out. So in that sense, yeah. not Lutheran historically, but the hymn is certainly Lutheran in its theology. It's biblical in its theology. 
and as you said, in, in many ways, yeah. uh, lays some foundations for what happens with Martin Luther in the 1500s. He was he was martyred in the year 1498, as you pointed out. And and as also you pointed out, some of his preaching, if, if you do any research on Savonarola, you're going to find some things that we would probably not agree with, that, that were not doctrines that we would believe, teach, and confess. Uh, but he certainly has given us a, a very glorious right. hymn to sing here in Jesus' Refuge of the Weary. Exactly. And I think I can work Oscar Wilde back into this as we I have go. No I doubt. guarantee I can, and I'm going. I have I'm no going doubt. to. It's going to happen. No doubt. It's going to happen. So, so we're going to take a look at this hymn. Again, this is Jesus' Refuge of the Weary. It's number 423 in Lutheran Service Book. These are the words of stanza one. Jesus, refuge of the weary, blessed Redeemer whom we love, fountain in life's desert dreary, Savior from the world above. Often have your eyes offended, gazed upon the sinner's fall. Yet upon the cross extended, you have borne the pain of all. That is stanza one of the hymn, Jesus, Refuge of the Weary. One of the things that I love about this hymn, Pastor Hull, is the many images that are worked in. Every single phrase has a, an image that you can take a look at, find in scriptures, and rejoice in what's going on. Beginning with the first, Jesus, Refuge of the Weary. Talk about the imagery, biblical texts that stand in the background just for that first phrase. I mean, you you get the 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 Psalms, right? You get this reality of of God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. That Psalm forty six language you get there. You get the reality of God being a refuge for His chosen people, Israel, um, as they go through the wilderness. That I will shield you. I will fight for you. I will do this. You can you can find solace in me, refuge in me, uh, safety in me. You see this in uh, Ezekiel, you know, I myself will seek the lost. I myself will do that. I'm the one that will restore them. So you have this beautiful understanding of refuge and look at the refuges of the world. They are destroyed. Uh, places like, um, now I just lost the word, the name, Jericho. You know, you, you have uh, Jericho tumbling down. This mighty wall, this mighty uh, city torn down by just the might of God. So you look at refuge God is the one who is the refuge, specifically here in the hymn, Jesus. And you get that in, um, take uh, Matthew 11, right? Come to me, all ye who are heavy, labor are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. I'm your refuge. I'm the one that gives you rest from your struggles, you who are weary. I always uh, say that in my sermons, you know, take courage, weary souls. This reality is uh, Jesus is good news for you who hunger and thirst after righteousness that you may be satisfied. You who are persecuted, going through the Beatitudes. So there's tons of it. Refuge vocabulary. Sure, and and the refuge that is particularly for the weary, as you pointed out from Matthew 11, that was the scripture passage that came to my mind too. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. What are the, the labors and the heavy loads that we need weary, that we weary need rest from? Well, this is the fun part is the first that, well, you have the four foes, sin, death, world, and the power of the devil. And you have the reality of our own sins. I mean, think of the, the wrestling and, and, and struggling you have with your own weaknesses, your own depravity, your own, I mean, not everyone has the same sins with which they struggle. Not everyone struggles with alcohol. Not everyone struggles with pornography. Not everyone struggles with anger. Not everyone struggles with envy or or laziness. 
But the reality is we who are born anew, new creations in Christ, we, as it says in the hymn 676, we feebly struggle. So we do struggle all the time, but we're constantly being overcome. We're constantly, not because we don't fight, but because what we fight against, only Christ can overcome for us. So first, we, we struggle with our own sins. We struggle with how I feel, what I'm going through. Um, we struggle with uh, judgment. We struggle, like I preached on the parable of the sower a few weeks ago. And I made the point, don't look at this parable and say, okay, I'm one soil and everyone else are the other ones. No, this is all you. <laughs> is look at the sower, that's the point. And when we see the reality of being weary, the first thing that exhausts you is struggling with your own corruption. You are a saint who struggles with sin. And in that, you now come to Jesus completely beaten and weighed down. It's like if you get, like the, the other day I was putting uh, garbage in, in the garbage uh, can and I decided to press it down and I sliced my finger on a can of tomatoes. It was delightful. I really handled it well. Um, but of course it didn't stop. So my wife, my blessed wife, we cleaned it out like, oh, that's, that's not fun. So we went to the hospital or hospital, as our British friends would say. And we get there and I'm in the emergency room, you know, with my gauze around my finger, holding my hand up like this. I wasn't sitting there going, why is that person here? They don't look that sick. Why is that person here? I was only thinking, I wish they'd come call my name so I can go back and get my finger glued up. That's the reality of going to church is you're showing up with your wounds your illnesses, your failures, so that you can be refreshed and renewed and nourished by Christ, glued back up again, stitched back up and sent back out to probably just be cut open again and bleed again. I, I so, think the, 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 image, the image of Jesus as the refuge for the weary, particularly during the season of Lent, is so helpful because sometimes there is that image of the season of Lent as one in which I work. It's, it's my work here in Lent. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give up this, or I'm going to take up that. And there is certainly a very helpful place for Christian piety within the Christian life of seeking after those good things that Christ gives to us in his word. But the season right. of Lent isn't about you or me working our salvation. Rather, it's about having rest in the one who's given our salvation. He's the refuge for the weary. And I just think it's a, a beautiful image, especially during a season like Lent. Well, and that then allows you to understand what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who is at work in you. What does this mean to be actually work out your salvation is to have rest in Christ alone. There's a reason like when you read Numbers 15, the man who's picking up sticks on, on the Sabbath is stoned because God takes seriously you resting in his word. You need it. Um, what did uh, Pless say, I think? He said, busyness, even when occupied with your vocation, must take a break because it cannot interfere with the word of God that gives you true rest. And that's the nice part about Lent, too. It should force us Christians, we Christians, us Christians, something like that, to actually slow down and be in the Word more. Can you imagine if you, everyone who's a, a, a let's just start, start with the Missouri Synod. If we all sent a letter to our boss saying, ah, I'm actually going to need an additional five hours off each week for the next 40 days because I'm going to be at church or I'm going to be doing this. I mean, that would be, can you imagine if every Missouri Synod person did that? That'd be crazy. Um, it'd be pretty awesome.
But I, I know it won't happen. Why? <laughs> so stay in the word. Fun stay times. in the word, and that that is a good encouragement. And we we continue to hold out that encouragement oh, as, yeah. as pastors and Christians to each other. Oh yeah, yeah. We always do is stay in the word. It's I was reading Luther's cat, large catechism the other day, and he says we set aside several hours a week for worship. Um, and it's interesting with that. It's it's a reality of being in the word. When you're in the word more by yourself with each other with your family. It's not going to be bad for you. It's always going to be a blessing. It's a true blessing. So let's move on to the next phrase, blessed Redeemer whom we love. Again, we have another image, blessed Redeemer. Sometimes we don't think about the image behind Redeemer. Talk to us about what it means that Christ is our Redeemer. Well, Redeemer, you get this in Job, right? I know my Redeemer lives. And this is in the midst of him and his struggles and his suffering. Um, uh, if you're, I was reading the Treasury. This is a few weeks ago now, reading the Treasury in Job. And, um, you know, it's, it's God's, God's kind of mean in Job, isn't he? It's like you have God sitting there and the devil comes up and he's walking. And there was like, I was just going back and forth, you know, doing my thing. And, and God's like, have you thought of Job? You know, he looks like he's got it too good. And uh, boom, everything's taken. Then the next day, hey, what you up to there, devil? Or Satan, whatever his name was. Uh, I think it was Satan there in Job. And, and then, you know, Satan goes, oh, you know, the guy you let me uh, torture and all that, he's still doing all right. Okay, well, you know, punish him a little more. I'll, I'll give him into your hands. And it's interesting with that. Job receives all this and he's redeemed by Christ. He's redeemed by the one who, who and this is like where you get good uh, hymnody from like Paul Gerhard. Um, he who knows all my woes knows how best to end them. Uh, God gives me my days of gladness and I will trust him still when he sends me sadness. So the reality of Redeemer is no matter what I'm going through, what I may feel in this life, what I may experience, uh, the weariness I have, God is the one that rescues me from it, redeems me, pays for me, pays the price for my atonement that I may be at one with the Father and freed from sin, death, world, and the power of the devil. He's claimed it. It's bought and paid for so don't ever say God's love is unconditional. No, it is conditional. It's conditioned in Christ. Christ is the condition that's been met for you. So always, it always comes back to Christ that He redeems you. He pays absolutely, for absolutely. It's fun and times. this is again, it's in our, it's in our confession that we have in the small catechism in the second article that Christ has redeemed me not with gold or silver, but with His holy, precious blood. And with his innocent oh. suffering and death. So again, another yes. marvelous Lenten image. They just keep stacking up in this hymn. Next we have Fountain in Life's Desert Dreary. That is a glorious picture as well. Oh, yeah. Well, you get like, you know, God telling Moses, hey, go talk to that rock over there and water will come out. What does Moses do? Like a typical middle schooler, he goes and hits the rock instead of listening to the teacher. And I, can you imagine God when he's just sitting there and Moses comes back? Hey, I did it. No, you didn't. I told you to talk to the rock and water will come out. And you hit the rock twice. What's wrong with you? Go to the corner. Um, you know, Aaron's over there. I just did a calf. Um, but you look at this reality of life in desert dreary. You take the Israelites 40 years in the wilderness and God still gave them life, provided for them. Even when he sent fiery serpents among them, he gave them life by putting the bronze serpent up on the pole for them. So fountain in life's desert dreary. This life is a desert. This life is a wilderness. This life is trench warfare. This life is hard. Uh, we're parched. And Christ is the water that is given unto eternal life. 
as we get that was that John, not four or five. Four. Four. Four is the four. Yep. You get that reality with the woman at the well. So you get this reality of who Christ is for you while pilgriming on through this desert, through this wilderness. And I love this dreariness. Savonarola is beautiful with that. He's never like, I've hit it and I'm good now. It's always the pilgrimage and the exhaustion and then, and then God being the one that restores you. Yeah, yeah. This, this image of the, the springs of living water there in John 4 with the woman at the well, and you get it later in John 7 yeah. where Jesus talks about the, the water of life welling up in those who believe. And then, of course, you mm-hmm. have... You have the the river of water that flows from Jesus' side when he's on the cross, and then the the river of life all the way at the end of the the scriptures there in Revelation. This this thought of fountain yep. in life's desert dreary, uh, even when we walk in the in the wilderness and the exile of this world, we have this refreshment, this source of nourishment in Christ and in His Word that that never runs out. And that's a such a wonderful thing. You know, you yeah. both you and I served previously yeah. in Texas. And, and they especially in Texas know what drought is like. And when that water comes, boy, everybody just goes running for it and giving thanks to God. How much more oh, yeah. then should there be that thanks when we have the, the fountain of, of life in the word of our Lord Jesus Christ? Exactly. I remember one time in Texas, it didn't rain for like three months. And when it finally rained, we went outside running around in our swimsuits. And there was lightning and everything. My wife's yelling at us, come inside, you lunatics. But Christians are lunatics. We're crazy people. And the fountain we have also is our baptism. Um, we never separate atonement one and atonement distributed. Atonement one always comes atonement distributed. So the fact that Christ died on the cross versus our fountain now is gifted to us in our baptism. And no matter how dry the day may be, remember you are completely drenched in the grace of God and Christ Jesus mm, in your that's baptism. That's right. So our Lord Jesus, he gives us this fountain in life's desert dreary that is the source of life that we run to, especially during the season of Lent. We're going to keep looking at the wonderful images that point us to Christ crucified and risen for us from this hymn on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Chris Hull this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Lutheran Church Extension Fund exists to support Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and church workers. How do we do this? Your investment with LCEF makes it possible for LCMS churches, schools, organizations, and church workers to receive low-cost loans for new and growing ministries. And faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, make that possible when you invest with LCEF. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, February 21st. We are studying hymn number 423 in Lutheran service book, Jesus, Refuge of the Weary. Our guest today is Pastor Chris Hull. He serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church and Student Center in Macomb, Illinois. 
Pastor Hull, we've been working through stanza one. We've come now to the phrase where we sing Savior from the world above. So again, Jesus, he's our refuge when we're weary. He's our redeemer. He's our fountain in life's desert. Now he's our Savior from the world above. Take us into that phrase. I mean, he's, uh, you got that beautiful Christmas hymn from Luther, from heaven above to earth I come. This, this reality of the Son of God. So this isn't just some man doing it. This is God and man made manifest, that beautiful epiphany, him. You have Savior from heaven itself, that heaven may be open for us. So that's who Jesus is. He's not just some guy. He is God and man, true God, begotten of the Father, true man born of the Virgin Mary, who is our Lord. That's who he is. So it's yeah, beautiful. I, I'm reminded also, we've been mentioning John's gospel a couple times, and we know that, as you said, Savonarola loved to preach on John, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus mm-hmm. about the birth that comes from above, and that Jesus is the one who has descended from Both above. From above yeah. So, I mean, that that too is, is good news yeah. for us, if that Jesus is the Savior from the world above mm-hmm. means that he can give us that birth from above in holy baptism and, and give us that righteousness that belongs to him. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. It's beautiful. Now, the, the hymn stanza then, having addressed Jesus in this way, in those first four phrases, turns then, uh, makes a little bit of a turn, and we're going to get a little maybe more Lenten in what we typically think of the season of Lent. Often have your eyes offended, gazed upon the sinner's fall. Talk about the way that Jesus looks upon us in our sin as, as uh, he's offended by it, the hymn says here. Well, and like when we hear the word offense, it's kind of lost a lot of feeling today because everyone's offended by so many things. Like I said the other day, I was talking to my sons, you know, a couple of them are going to Christ Academy in Fort Wayne this summer. And I'm talking to them just about the reality of where we live and uh, not just Illinois, but in, in a society today and how we get offended by the littlest things. And only there's only one who actually has the right to be offended, the right to be hurt, the right to be um, scarred and damaged is Christ because he is the only perfect one. We have no right to get offended because we are sinners along with other sinners. Christ is the one by whom, through whom, all things have been made that were made, which includes us. So when we walk outside of that holiness walk outside of that true image we have in christ there is an offense in the eyes of jesus a hurt or like it says in the old testament you know god it would always say things like god was sorry he did something it's not that god is like oh i made a mistake it's uh, a remorse it's this it's like when you you'd rather have your parent yell at you instead of saying i'm disappointed in you yeah <laughs> yeah okay so, so this is i mean again go ahead but it's also the fall, no, too, no. the reality of, I'm sorry, the reality of the fall is, the reality of the fall is this offense, is, it's not just to you, it's a reality of Christ looking at the entire fall of man, uh, and you get that before the flood and after the flood. Man's heart is always evil all the time, and it's after that, too. So he gazes upon just the reality of the fall itself, not just man in the fall, but the reality of the fall, and this is offense, and God has to do something about it. When... When you're offended by something, you fix it. And Christ has uh, come to make right that which yeah, had gone this, uh, wrong. This thought of the offense of, of sin in, in the sight of God reminds me of the way David prays in Psalm 51. He, he says, Against you, mm-hmm. you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
so that you may be justified in your right. words and blameless in your judgment. And there, that talk of God being justified and blameless in judgment, I do think points us to this reality that you're talking about, that God, as he is offended in our sin, he does something about it, and and he sends Christ to justify us, which is where this hymn turns. So God in, mm-hmm. in him sees our sins, and yet, what does he do? Upon the cross extended, you have borne the pain of all. Here we have some more beautiful imagery of what our Lord Jesus has done. Yeah. Well, I love, it's like, um, I, I'm, I was teaching on the third commandment on, on the devil. You know, Luther closes the third uh, commandment in the large catechism on the devil prowling around and, and uh, seeking your demise all the time. Lions are not safe animals. There's a reason we visit them in the zoo. Um, but Christ is the Lion of Judah. That's what Revelation teaches us, right? That, that the Lion of Judah has risen up. So Jesus, God's not safe either. We don't rejoice in the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection for us because God's a pushover. God's a big softy. The reality is Christ has taken our pain. He's taken our death. He's taken the punishment. He's taken all of it that we may have true joy in the love of God the Father. So when we look at Christ, who is offended by our sin, rather than punishing us, he claims it as his own. And in this blessed exchange, we now receive his holiness and righteousness. So he's borne the pain of all. He's done it. So you have this beautiful doctrine of the vicarious satisfaction. And that's the beautiful part about hymnody, too. You can say something with just like eight words. You know, and that's what Savonarola does here. He uses eight words and, and shows us what the vicarious satisfaction, meaning Christ takes your place and in your stead suffers the wrath of the Father for you. Yeah. That you may yeah. have Yeah, the, the beautiful thing about hymnody, as you said, is it does bring up all these images with, within just a few words that give you the opportunity to meditate upon yeah. the scriptures. So, I mean, I think of Isaiah 53 in this text, that Christ has borne these things. He mm-hmm. has carried these things on our behalf. Right. And even the, the juxtaposition of God being offended at our sin, but yet Christ died for us, Romans chapter 5, that that's God's love. While we were mm-hmm. sinners, Christ died for us. And all right. of this beautiful, beautiful right. theology within just a few phrases of a hymn. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... I mean, I say it all the time in, in my sermons because we sing hymns every Sunday. I'm like, meditate on them before you go to church. Like, I'm glad we're, you're doing this series on Sharper Iron. Get into the hymnody. Look, inwardly digest it. Learn it by heart so that when you're belting it out in church, you're, you're further, you're deepening your understanding, your piety, your faith in what Christ has done for you. The hymns aren't there just to fill in space. Um, the hymns are there for a reason. I, I, I'm very thankful for good hymnody, especially when my sermons may not be up to snuff or, or you know, something like that. Uh, you can have good hymnody. Um, or you take, like, readings for that Sunday. It may all be really law-driven, which isn't a bad thing. The law of God is good and wise. But it's also nice to have the gospel, so you may have a good hymn in there that can help you do that. All so, right, let's go ahead and turn to stanza yeah. two of this hymn. Do we pass that cross unheeding, breathing no repentant vow? Though we see you wounded, bleeding, see your thorn-encircled brow. Yet your sinless death has brought us life eternal, peace, and rest. Only what your grace has taught us calms the sinner's deep distress. 
That is stanza two of the hymn, Jesus, Refuge of the Weary. So, Pastor Hall, this stanza begins with a question of self-examination as to how we respond mm-hmm. to seeing our Lord's suffering and death on our behalf. What, what kind of self-examination is this hymn uh, bringing to our hearts in the beginning of stanza two? It brings first and foremost that something like this happening is not a, a light thing. I remember, what was it, 2004, 2005, when The Passion of the Christ came out and everybody went to see it. Um, I, I went and saw it, like, I think the third day it came out. So I had all these friends who went to see it and they all came back to campus, like just kind of in a daze almost, like in a, a cloud. And you could see the the guilt that was on them. Because I thought, I think, if I recall, I thought he came out with I it on Ash right Wednesday. You know, so they all went to see it like during the day on Ash Wednesday. And um, I remember, I, I think I went and saw it like that Friday or Saturday. But I remember watching it and I was a, the a moronic one that before the movie, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a traditionalist. So when I go to the theater, I do the same thing every time I get a hot dog, I get popcorn, I get a big soda and I get candy. No one else in the theater had anything to eat and I'm sitting there. And then I realized why I probably shouldn't have all that. And the popcorn went on eating the hot dog, the candy. It was Junior Mints, too. I mean, who doesn't love Junior Mints at the movie theater? But you can't eat Junior Mints while watching The Passion of the Christ. It's kind of hard. Because you're looking at what's happening, the reality of the scourging, the reality of, of, of the ridicule, exchanging Jesus for Barabbas, the betrayal uh, of Judas, the denial of Peter, uh, the mourning of his mother, um, all these things, uh, Pilate and his confusion with, um, oh, what was her name? I what was his wife's name? Pilate's wife. It says it in Luke, doesn't it? I don't think it's in the scriptures. Not Cornelia. I think it's like like church history, like Eusebius throws it in there somewhere. I thought it was Cornelia, but maybe I'm, I'm probably wrong. Um, who knows? But you, you look at all this, and what it does is it causes you to stop and go, he didn't do anything wrong. This is all on me. He took my pain. I'm the one who should be getting this. It's like if you did something and your sibling got caught instead of you and they didn't do it at all and you just sit there and watch them get disciplined, only a psychopath would sit there with a straight face and not say anything. And Christians are not psychopaths. We may be lunatics, but we're not psychopaths. And we see the cross and we mourn. We say, that should be me. I should be on the cross not him. And yet he's there for me. So it brings a deep anguish. And that's why we have crucifixes and things like this still. Remember it. Uh, uh, Palm Sunday. Do you all read the passion narrative on Palm Sunday at your place? we reserve Palm Sunday for Palm Sunday particularly, but we read the passion narrative throughout the midweek services. And then we also read the passion narrative on Good Friday. Yeah. So, I mean, you get that. So it's like you, you get this reality when you're doing the passion reading. It's not something you just fly through. You slow down and meditate on every word. Or like the Tenebrae service. You have all those words of Christ and you put the candles out and it brings you into this somber reality of why yeah, this had that's to happen. Right. I, thinking through the, the scriptures with this phrase from the hymn, uh, my mind goes for one place to the Gospel of John, where Jesus regularly in the Gospel of John mm-hmm. refers to his crucifixion as his glory. And and the word glory, especially mm-hmm. in the Hebrew, the word the kavod of... Uh, Yahweh, the, the glory of the Lord, the words related to the heaviness. There's a, there's a weightiness 
to what Christ has done in his death. And it's not something right. that you just walk by without thinking about it. The other place that, that my mind goes to as well, we, we're also studying the book of Galatians here on Sharper Iron right now. And in Galatians chapter mm. 2, when Paul's talking about, hey, imagine you could be saved by the law, that means that Christ died for nothing. Mm. And that thought that Christ died for yeah. nothing should should shock Christians. And I think something similar is going on here in the mm. hymn, that you know, when you when you see what your Lord has done, that is something not to just walk by lightly, but something to consider, to, to certainly mourn over your sins, but then also to rejoice and to give thanks that this is what God has actually done for me. And it's, it's, and you, you don't, and I, I think you and I have talked about this before, and I, I maybe fall on the judgier side with it, is people's reaction, like how they respond to it. And not everyone has the sure. same responses. Some people have a stoicism, which I don't think is real. I've never believed in stoicism. Um, because everyone's not stoic about something. Like you can, you can get jacked up over a double cheeseburger, you know, or over the Chiefs winning, something like the, the Panda Taylor, yay, Chiefs, um, something like that. But, but the reality is, like when you say this is the word of the Lord, and well, how does the typical Lutheran congregation sound? I've been to enough of them. Thanks be to God. Come on. This is God speaking to you. This is awesome. He for centuries didn't talk. And everyone's like, does God, does God have a problem with me? Is God angry at me? Yeah, he's angry at you. You're a sinner. But guess what? That anger has been consumed on the cross for you. Only those who are weary rejoice in the good news of the gospel. When we look at stanza two, it's the reality of passing by the crucifix, the passion of Christ, that should stop you in your tracks. You've got to put the junior mints down and, and realize, man, I, 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 these are tears of sorrow. But it's tears of sorrow that also turn into tears of joy because of why Jesus is on there. And that's the second part All right, of the let's, stanza. Let's go there, yeah. Second that, part of the stanza. Oh, sorry, you're the transition no, okay. guy. Let's, trans let's do it. Know, well, no, transition yeah, so the, the second yeah. part of the stanza. Again, yet your sinless death has brought us life eternal, peace and rest. Only what your grace has taught us calms the sinner's deep distress. <laughs> I mean, it's beautiful, isn't it? This, this reality that the deep distress I have has now been calmed because of what you have done on the cross for me. That look at Thomas. Thomas comes and Jesus says, hey, here's my hands. Put your finger in there. Here's my side. Dig your hand in. Stop disbelieving, Thomas, and believe. Um, rejoice in this. What does he send the apostles out to do in John 20? Yes, to retain sin for some, but the main point is he sends them out to do the work he's done, which is to redeem people with the word. He sends them out in Matthew 28 to make disciples by baptizing and teaching everything he's been taught. Uh, Luke 24, go out and proclaim forgiveness and remission of sins to rep repentance and forgiveness to all. This is what Christ has done on the cross for you. I mean, this is, I mean, when I think about it, why uh, this should occupy every single thing. Well, Luther makes this point in the large catechism. Everything we do is occupied by this. You know, it is everything. We, I mean, you and I are pastors, so people think, well, we just assume, of course, this is your job. It occupies everything you do. But how many pastors is it just the job? You know, well, I do this because it's my job to do. Or is it, no, I do this because I love this. Um, I hate that I can't go to church anymore. I haven't been to church in a year. Why? Because I have to work on Sundays. It's terrible. They won't let me take off. No, they do, actually. I have good saints here. Like, go, oh, go get some rest. Be fed. Um, but when you look at the reality of just abiding in this and rejoicing in it, um, it's only one that has experienced it himself that then preaches it, experienced the distress, and experienced the 
calmness, the peace that surpasses all understanding because of what Christ has done for you Just on the cross. Just briefly before we move into stanza three, as we talked about earlier, the, the last hymn we looked at uh, from 607, oh, and I can't, Luther's, Luther's hymn, yeah. From Depths of Woe, thank you. Um, I, I couldn't, so yeah, that being a hymn about yeah. the justification by grace through faith, uh, you see it here at the end of stanza two as well, it's only grace that can calm our deep distress. Mm-hmm. Our works, nothing of, right. of ourselves can calm our distress. It's only God's grace in Christ that actually yeah. brings that calm amidst our distress. That's just a marvelous thing. Well, and then, like, even talking about 607 a little, I'm sorry to go back to that one, but, you know, though greater our sin, yet greater still yeah. is God's abundant favor. Greater distress, greater still is the calmness that comes yeah. from the cross. Yeah, yeah. So it's beautiful. And again, just to beautiful see how stuff. these hymns of the season of Lent go beyond woe is me but point us to what our lord jesus christ has done and the great hope and joy that we have in that we don't usually think of the season of lent right. as a season of joy and yet as you sing these hymns of yeah. lent there is great joy in them and certainly in last week's Indeed. and in this week's as well so let's let's check out stanza yeah. 3 the last stanza of this hymn in lutheran service book Jesus, may our hearts be burning with more fervent love for you. May our eyes be ever turning to behold your cross anew, till in glory, parted never from the blessed Savior's side, graven in our hearts forever, dwell the cross, the crucified. Oh, yeah. man. On, on my heart, this imprint your stuff. image makes a shows up there at the end yeah. of this stanza, Pastor Hall. Now, normally, normally I think your heart burning is a bad thing. But in this case, it's good. Uh, what What's the hearts burning with more fervent love for the Lord? Talk about that opening line. I mean, burning. I mean, that's, you have the post-communion colic, faith toward God, and we say fervent love toward each other. But Luther's original German with that has a burning love. I mean, he he's quoting Elvis here, you know, when Luther did the post-communion colic. He's quoting Elvis. It's a, a hunk, a hunk, a burning love. And the reality is there's this burning, I mean, this burning love for God is like, ah, it, it, it's, it's irritating almost. Like it, when you fall in love, it, love is irritating, isn't it? It consumes you. It, posse- like it possesses you. Remember that word, um, echo, uh, uh, epsilon, the X, and the you know, little thing. Um, when, when it's with like a demon, it's possessed by a demon. Or it can mean when it says with a woman, it's impregnated. And this reality of having love. You're possessed by love. You're impregnated by love. You're irritated by love. You burn with it mm, yeah, for I, God. And it's just the the connection to the post communion colic came to my mind as well. I think the place where you see the the thought of your heart's burning in the scriptures, especially, is in Luke chapter twenty four. The two disciples on the way to Emmaus yeah. after they realize who it was who was with them, they said, burning. "Weren't our hearts burning?" And so it, this this love for the Lord that is is burning within our hearts comes from being in His presence. And uh, what what better place than for yeah. us to express that and to realize that in the in the context of Holy Communion, that here we have been in the Lord's presence, and He He does He He uh, He makes our hearts alive yeah. in that way. And the same thing happens throughout the season of Lent that that we ask Him, Lord Lord, keep our hearts alive with this love for You. Yeah, it's um, I said at one time. At seminary, I said uh, there's a collection of Jimmy Buffett songs on a CD. It's called Songs You Know by Heart. You know, it's like Cheeseburger in Paradise, Margaritaville, Son of a Sailor, uh, Change in Latitude, Change in Attitude, uh, Coconut Telegram, all these fun times. 
And I said, we should come out with that with like hymnody, you know, hymns you know by heart. And these are just the ones that you sing all the time because that one CD of like 12 or 14 Jimmy Buffett songs, if you go to any Buffett concert, every single parrot head is singing those songs all together. Why is it only parrot heads that get to do that? Why can't we do that? Why can't we have all these hymns that we just sing? Like let's sing Savonarola, you know, all the time and learn it by heart. So it's just like, okay, I'm walking through Walmart or Hy-Vee or all H-E-B. I do miss H-E-B. But, you know, you're, you're walking through there, you know, and you're belting out Jesus, Refuge of the Weary. No one's going to look at you weird if you're singing a Bohemian Rhapsody or, uh, you know, or even Elvis or Johnny Cash or something. But I bet if you're singing Jesus, Refuge of the Weary, people may look at you funny at first, but then it's like, well, you know, what, what are they saying? Well, they have a burning love for God. They have a burning love for their neighbor. They can't be that bad. I'm I'm you know? I'm all for I'm all for singing with each other and to each other as Christians uh, more and more often. And I I think it's a, an absolutely wonderful yeah. practice that we would do well. And I think we do it well during the season of Christmas. Uh, and and if you count, you know, when mm-hmm. you think about the season of Christmas, I'm going to include for the sake of just the way that it usually works, what happens in Advent too, Christmas caroling. We know how yep. to do it then. We just need to extend that practice throughout the church here. Absolutely, amen to that. So, well, but but lest we um, lest we skip the rest of the okay. pastor hole, I'm going to keep us moving. So, <laughs> our hearts are burning. That's a good. In the idea. second part of this stanza, then our eyes are turning to keep them fixed on the cross. My mind goes to Hebrews chapter 12 here, which is a prominent verse in the season of Lent. Let our mm-hmm. eyes be fixed on Jesus, the Author and Perfecter of our faith. Right. Well, in this reality, it's always looking to Christ in the midst of our weariness and struggles and heartache. Um, and this brings us back Fantastic. to Oscar Wilde. I was waiting. Um, yeah, I, I read a biography on him that right before he died, months before he died, he converted to Roman Catholicism. Because it is known about Oscar Wilde that he was a very flamboyant individual who um, uh, did not uh, prefer the company of women but of men. But it was a struggle, an inner struggle he had all of his life. And in this weariness, then toward the end, he was completely torn down and Christ became what he needed, who he needed. When we look at ourselves and our weariness, it's only looking to the cross that we have any any joy, looking to the cross anew. It's not like when you and I preach the cross, like I doubt anyone on Good Friday is going to go, oh my God, he died? I didn't know that. They've heard it before. They've heard he's risen before. They've heard these things. But you preach it anew for you today. It's still yours in the context of where you are right now. And we always go back to it. I love that thought about hearing it anew every time. That that this is the although I, I know what has happened, I could I could quote chapter and verse perhaps. This is new for yeah. me. And that's that's the key. It is for me. It is for you no matter what's changed from the last Good Friday when you heard the Passion account of the Lord, that's, that account you mm-hmm. hear anew because it is for you. And and the hymn then would, would call us to keep our eyes focused on that, not just on Good Friday or the season of Lent, but our whole lives long, to, to look at it with those new eyes of faith that we see how how it matters in our everyday life every single day. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing. It, it comes to you differently, just like with the soils. You're going to be different uh, each year, each time you hear the word, each time it comes to you. And it molds you. It works in you. You are the pot. He is the potter. 
and that reality of being worked on, engraving it in your heart, dwelling on the cross, the crucified. That's yeah, what there you go. Is. And again, there's there's your your prayer before your sermon. On my heart, imprint your image. The yes. prayer here is that the the cross, the crucified one, would be graven in our hearts, and and graven in our hearts now, all the way into into eternity. So the the hymn concludes like this: Till in glory parted never from the blessed Savior's side, graven in our hearts forever dwell the cross of crucified. So this, this reality that Christ is our crucified and risen Savior, that is what sustains us now and all the way until he returns and we see him and we are never parted from him. Got about two minutes to, to dig into those images, Pastor Holm, to wrap things up for us this morning. Well, I mean, just with parted from him, never you get the Romans 6, the very understanding of baptism, united with Christ in a death like his, united with him in a resurrection like his. And, and, and in the end, you get the fullness of repentance here, the contrition, faith and forgiveness, the forgiveness, and now Christ walking with you through that. That's why Luther could say, when Christ said repent, he called for the entire Christian life to be that of repentance. He's not telling you to be... To be uh, um, a wet blanket all the time or always sad. What he's saying is you you daily confess, you daily receive forgiveness, and you daily walk with Christ. And that's your baptismal life. So what I would say to people is pick up this hymn today. Sing, Mark, learn, and inwardly digest it. Devour it. Sing it in the shower. Sing it in the car. Sing it at the grocery store. Sing it in the kitchen. I mean, why not when you're sitting there cooking the spaghetti? Sing it. You know, I bet Savonarola was probably eating. I don't know. Maybe he was eating. I don't know what he was eating. Probably fish, I bet. They have, have a lot of fish, I think, in Florence. But that's the thing is he was doing these things. So sing it. That's why it's there. Um, you know, it's much better than listening to something else. Listen to this podcast first and then go sing this hymn until everyone gets annoyed by it. And then sing it's it It's fun again. times. Pastor exactly. Chris Hull serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church and the Student Center in Macomb, Illinois. He has been helping us today to study hymn number 423 in Lutheran service book, Jesus Refuge of the Weary. Pastor Hull, thanks for being our guest today. Brother Apple, always fun times. An apple a day. Oh, yeah. The death of our Lord Jesus Christ is no small thing. It is the glory that Jesus has accomplished for our salvation to give us refuge in our weary lives, to provide a fountain of life in the desert of this life to sustain us until he comes again in glory and we dwell with him forever. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about this hymn or you'd like to let us know what your favorite hymn of the season of Lent is, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Showing support for KFUO is now easier than ever. You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to kfuo.org store and order high-quality KFUO-branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual share for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to kfuo.org store.